Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management and marketing professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Caligeris, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Marketing, and your host for this episode. Adele Ravella is CEO of Buyer Persona Institute, a popular keynote speaker at conferences around the globe, author of Buyer Personas, How to Gain Insight into Your Customers' Expectations, Align Your Marketing Strategies, and Win More Business, which was named a top five business book by Fortune Magazine in 2015. And she's also a longtime friend, partner, and contributor, as well as former instructor at Pragmatic Marketing. Welcome, Adele. Wow. You did a great job reading that long bio, Rebecca. I have to say, Adele, when I, to me, your name is almost synonymous with buyer personas, right? I, when I think of buyer personas, I always think of you. I love reading your blog. Um, I've really enjoyed your articles. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got into buyer personas and why you are so passionate about them? Yeah, well, you know, I've got to give, I mean, since this is an audience that's pragmatic marketing, I have to really, and it really is true that I have to give the most credit to starting this company because of the 10 years I spent um, as the author and instructor for the pragmatic marketing um, course on, mark, on product marketing, because, you know, I, it was a two-day course in those days. I know it's changed a lot now. But as I taught that course to thousands of people all over the world, I had spent about an hour on buyer personas out of the whole two days. And as probably most of you know, there's, you know, these feedback forms you give at the end. And I would always read those, of course. And people so frequently said that buyer personas were the most valuable part of the two days and that they wish they had even more about it. So when I sold that course to Pragmatic Marketing in, 20, in 2010, I said, I'm going to go double down. I mean, I'm going to go all in on buyer personas. I already had the blog at that point, and it was just a matter of building a, a whole company around, you know, how do we make sure that every single marketer and product manager really knows not just who their buyer is, but more critically, how do they know what their buyer's experience is? You know, we talk a lot about customer experience, but what's your buyer's experience? And so for us, that's become our passion is to, you know, bridge this gap between what companies want to say and what the buyers want to hear and bridge the gap between the company's view of the buyer's journey and what buyers value during that journey. That's, that's really where that's, I'm so passionate about that. So it's, it's really not changed from when I was a pragmatic marketing instructor. It's just a much more focused slice of that topic. And why do you think it is that the buyer personas were such a popular topic? And why do you think they're so powerful in today's organizations? Yeah. You know, it's, it, I think, you know, that's a very interesting question. I like the way you worded that. You know, I think the reason is that it's so fundamental. The concept of what does the buyer want is so fundamental to how we want to think. You know, it just comes naturally to everybody to say, hey, listen, let's not go make stuff up. Let's actually be grounded in, you know, knowing our audience and knowing what they care about. And so it's, it's kind of logical. 
um, I'll never forget one of the, I've seen you know, 10 years teaching the pragmatic course, but one of my favorite questions, comments I got out of thousands of these students, maybe the guy saying this is listening was, you know, Adele, your problem is that you think that our management is logical. <laughs> <laughs> and so I would, you know, I've, I've reflected on that so many times and it just, buyer personas are logical. It just makes sense that we shouldn't be just looking at this from our perspective, but if we're going to write something and have it be the buyers like it, we should know what they want. Absolutely. So what type of factors do you think should go into or be included in a buyer persona? Yeah, so thank you for that question. Um, and by the way, we didn't review these in advance, but my favorite question, because it's the most misunderstood aspect of buyer personas, there's just six things you need to know. Um, you need to know their buyer profile, so you need to know who they are. You need to know as much as you wanna know about who they are. Uh, but most critically, you need to have five parts of the buying experience well understood. And so the first part of the buying experience, I want you to know, we call this the five rings of buying insight. Uh, the first part you wanna know is, what are the triggers for your buyers so when their buying experience journey begins, when they decide that today is the day to abandon the status quo and go make an investment in a product or service or solution in your category, what is that trigger? What are those triggers? Because there will be more than one. The second set of things, insights you need into the buying experience is how does the buyer define success? We call this success factors. And it looks a lot like benefits. But the problem with our point of view about benefits is that we reverse engineer those based on what our products do. Success factors tell us in your buyer's own words how they define the successful outcome of making this investment. The next set of part of the buying experience, and this is the part that marketers and product managers are usually, usually most blind to or that they don't have enough focus on in their in, in the investments they're making in sales and marketing engagement is around what we call perceived barriers. And we sometimes refer to this as the bad news insight because this is the part of the buying experience where your buyer is either encountering reasons that they won't proceed with this type of investment and or reasons that they think that your competitors are a better approach, better option for them. And insight into the buyer's perspective on those objections, even though we call it the bad news, it's actually the best news because it gives us the ability to focus on overcoming those objections in the product and in the sales and marketing engagement. Um, the, the fourth part of the buying experience is what we call decision criteria. So these are all the attributes of your product or service or solution or your company that your buyer weighs as they are comparing the strengths and weaknesses of your solution against everyone else's. And then the fifth part of the buying experience, we call it the buyer's journey. Uh, and that's, you know, people talk about the buyer's journey all the time. But this perspective on the buyer's journey comes like all the other aspects of the buying, ex, uh, the buying experience from real interviews with real buyers. And in this insight area, we, uh, write, we have quotes and details and facts 
about every step in that buyer's journey from the buyer's perspective, all the resources they trusted, and all the people who were involved in making that decision. So those six parts, the buyer profile plus uh, the priority initiatives or triggers, success factors or benefits, perceived barriers or objections and concerns, decision criteria, which are the attributes, and finally, the buyer's journey. So those six parts of the buyer persona and, uh, you know, frankly, the buyer profile, which is what most people think of when they think of personas, we call that the cover sheet for the buyer persona. It's like, it's like reading the cover sheet and not reading the book. It's or reading the cover sheet and just having it. Most people just have buyer pro profiles and they call them personas and they're pretty much useless. And then everybody wonders what the problem is. Yeah, it, it definitely is a much more robust understanding of a buyer persona. It's much more 3D, right? Vibrant things that we could use to make all kinds of decisions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's got to be it's got to be 3D around the buying experience and and just knowing who your buyer is and people I just honestly Rebecca, I saw a blog post last week and I had to laugh. This guy said there were 150 things you need to know about your buyer persona. And I read this thing, and I'm like, 150 things, wow. And so he had things, and I am not making this up. Um, like, what was your persona's birth order? Were they the firstborn or the middle <laughs> child? And what was their parents' occupation? And I'm thinking, okay, 150 things with maybe three possible answers to each. Let's see, that's 450 different buyer personas we need to be. Oh, wait a minute, this is exponential. I cannot imagine how many buyer personas. So that's that's ridiculous. But the fact is most people approach buyer personas in B2B marketing based on industry, job title, um, company size, uh, and you know sometimes around um, where they are in the world, the geographic. So you know companies end up with when you focus on the buyer profile, rather than the buying experience, you end up with way too many personas and not nearly enough actionable insight to, to have this even make sense. When you think of uh, a typical B2B tech company, which is what most of our listeners are going to be, and you think about the number of buyer personas, and I know it varies a great deal, but is there, like, what, what, is it, um, what is an ideal number or a typical number? What should they focus on? Their top, what X number of personas should they build out? So there isn't a number, um, you know, I, it's really based on understanding your buyer's buying experience and then dis distinguishing them. So let me give you an example. Um, well, first of all, let's see, SAP was a big client for us and they have SAP, right? Nobody can, they have literally marketers in every country in the world. And I'm not talking about just like, you know, somebody in Europe, I'm talking about every country in Europe. And, and Western and Eastern Europe. Um, and they ended up with 22 personas. Um, Cisco's a big client of ours now, and they have 11. Uh, so these are giant companies, and you can see. Now, how did we determine that? And it isn't because we went into Cisco and said you need you know, 11 personas or 20 or, or five. It's because we interviewed buyers based on all the demographics that they cared about. And I'll give you an example. We did a networking buyer study for them last year where we talked to buyers of network equipment across the U.S., the U.K., and Germany, 
Um, we interviewed net, these network buyers in eight industries, five private sector and three public sector. And a typical approach to that would be, okay, three geographic regions, eight industries, that's 24%. When we looked at all those, those five categories of buying insight that I described to you a minute ago, and we looked at differences inside each of those rings of insight, we might find one little you know, decision criteria attribute over here that somebody in healthcare in Germany talked about that nobody else talked about or whatever. But fundamentally, when we looked at that buying experience across all of those, instead of 24 personas, we came up with one. Mm. Now, we did look initially at private sector and public sector differently, but then we sat down with a company to help them build a strategy around those personas. Two separate groups of marketers, one in public sector, one in private sector. And we did have a few different insights about the buying experience for both of those. But then when we looked at the Cisco strategy to engage those buyers, guess what? Independently, they both came up with the same strategy because the differences were insufficient to justify a different marketing strategy. And it's no use having more buyer personas then you need to go to market. So then ways you need to go to market. Mm. If, as a matter of fact, it's it's not only not no use having them, it's confusing and, and actually dangerous to do that. So you talked about with the buyer's journey that that was definitely based on real interviews. And you just talked about interviews you did with Cisco. Is that the the only type of research that goes into a buyer persona creation? Or are there other secondary research channels that you look at at all? No, you know, that's a that's a really good question, Rebecca, is you know, we the interviews are where we you need to begin because and, you know, so it's so much more comfortable to do surveys than it is to do interviews. So people try to begin there or more commonly, they'll do interviews with their internal stakeholders, maybe people in sales or maybe with a handful of, of customers, current customers. Um, but really, it, it needs to be interviews, and it needs to be interviews with real buyers and not your best customers and not with your salespeople. And these are, we, these are very specialized type of interviews. The, the main reason I wrote my book, which I hated, writing my book was the worst year of my life. <laughs> Um, teaching for pragmatics were the, was the best years of my life, honestly. But um, writing that book was a labor that I took on because I was doing so many webinars and podcasts and keynotes, and I could never really communicate in this short a period of time enough about this very specialized kind of interview that needs to be conducted in order to get to those insights. And um, what I've discovered since writing the book and having it become so popular is that we actually invented a very unique kind of qualitative research methodology. So, but is it the only thing to use? No. And, you know, it is the place to begin because those interviews are what tell you what's important to your buyers. And then if you want, you know, if you're going to bet the company on these findings, then by all means, what we do as a follow-on is we do a quant study. So now we take the results that we discovered through the interviews and we take those and subject them to a statistically valid sample. And now we can go 
and look at, you know, every possible permutation of industry, geography, company size, job title, role, and get really detailed. Now, 99.9% .9 of our clients never do that because it's, they, they've got so much value out of the interviews and they don't, you know, marketing hasn't been that precise anyway. I mean, let's, let's be honest, we've been sitting in a room making this stuff up and it, it, that we don't need to go do that, that research to get to that level of statistical validity. But we've had clients that were betting the company on this decision and then that additional research would do that. And there's so much more we can dig into on that. All right, let's hold on one second, take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Hello, Pragmatic Live listeners. You know we're passionate about product management, and we've been training professionals like you since 1993. If you're ready to increase product sales, reduce time to market, and improve customer satisfaction, register to experience a Pragmatic training session today at pragmaticmarketing.com slash buy. And then when you talk about the interviews and you talk about buyers, um, do you interview both people who have actively bought your client's product and those who have actively bought others? Yeah, the most valuable insight comes from interviewing uh, people who didn't choose you. Okay. Yeah, because if you think about it, you know, we're in marketing, right? And this is what the problem is with interviewing our best customers because if you interview your best customers, those people have already bought your whole story. And you know, it's, it can be reaffirming and it can tell you, it can give you some practice. It's a place if you're doing this for the first time where it's okay to begin there, but it's not gonna give you what you really need to know as marketers, which is why are we losing business and what do we need to do in, to engage people who haven't already, who don't already love us, right? Cause that's the real work that we need to achieve. That makes a ton of sense. All right, so now you have these great buyer personas. Well, first, let me ask you a question. It's always a popular question with our listeners. Who in an organization do you feel owns the creation and management of the buyer personas? Well, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Um, we have clients like Cisco that have special customer experience teams that do this. Uh, most commonly, it's owned by product marketing, um, but you know, remember our clients aren't doing this work themselves. They're coming to us. We, I started this company as a training company and we still have a training component. As a matter of fact, we're rolling out a new training product in this later this summer. Um, but primarily our clients come to us to do the research and then it, you know, we're, we're doing all that work for them. The one, the most important thing I want you to take away from that question, Rebecca, is this is not, this is not salespeople doing this interview. Um, and salespeople shouldn't be involved in the interviews. Sales, any, if some of your smaller clients, anybody that was ever on a sales call, and I used to say this in my pragmatic marketing course too, if you were ever involved in a sales call, you can't do the interviews. So that applies to a lot of the people in this audience <laughs> who are product managers and they get drug out to be the, do the demos and all that. And if you were involved with that prospect, you cannot interview them because it doesn't matter what it says on your business card or your LinkedIn profile. If you were on a sales call, you're a sales rep, and they will not open up to you and tell you the truth. It's very true. Very true. All right. So now we have these great buyer personas. 
What do you think are some best practices or tips around sharing those personas within the organization and keeping them alive, making them sure they're vibrant and used? Yeah, so one of my favorite questions, and you know, I was all over this initially. I thought, oh, we can send out these personas, we can put them on, you know, on intranets or special purpose platforms and everybody will use them and life will be better, but it doesn't work that way. It doesn't at all. And um, so I, I'll to give you the short version of this. Um, we recommend, and I know this is a really shocking thing, is that a small team group of people within marketing um, sit down with all of those insights and across all that whole buying experience, you're going to have 30, 40, 50 different insights and build special purpose strategic documents for each group. So what that looks like what they're used to using. So the first thing we do with our clients is we put them through a messaging workshop. And now what gets published is here's what the buyer wants to hear and here's how we address what the buyer wants to hear. So it isn't just here's our buyer persona and everybody go rally around that. It's really like here's how we as a company are going to activate what we've learned about personas. And this idea of just, you know, pasting these people's pictures on the wall and publishing all this data, it just doesn't work. And I, I know there's people that are listening to this that have tried that. And so I'm here to tell you it's not your fault. That doesn't work. What works is taking these insights and converting them into strategies, converting them into message strategies for marketing, content strategies for content, uh, sales playbooks for salespeople, etc. That's that's what works. That's that is I, why I feel better about some previous failures of mine. Uh, <laughs> but would that mean that you would not share e even the buyer profile sort of as the cover sheet to the strategy with them? Is that just irrelevant to the salesperson? What that persona looks like, except for as how it relates to the playbook? No, it's good as a cover sheet. That's exactly right, Rebecca. It's a cover sheet. So here's who you're talking to. And now flip to the next page. And here's how we talk. Here's what the buyer cares about with when they're going through the buyer's journey. Here's what their triggers are. Here's what their better, their success factors are, their objections, et cetera. And then here's how we address each of these as a company. Nice. And now the salespeople know how to do that. Because you know what? Salespeople they look at a lot of the stuff we're doing and I mean, I just have to kind of cry every time I go out and read a blog post that says, you know, marketing Mary does this and, you know, and Billy Jean Tom Thomas does that. And I'm like, those people, we are like the teacher department here gone crazy and gone mad again. The salespeople don't need to know that they need sales plays. Marketing needs marketing plays. And, so again, and guys, I'm not here to pitch my book. I make like 80 cents every time somebody buys a copy <laughs> of my book. So this is not about selling books. But honestly, I wrote, a, I wrote, you know, I'm a trainer at heart. Pragmatic taught me well. I'm a trainer at heart. So my book is like, here's how to do the interviews. Here's how to get the, build the personas from the interviews. And frankly, here's how to go do the messaging plays, all of that. That's a chapter in the book so that, People can stop just publishing personas and start publishing strategy. Awesome. All right. So I know you guys work at Buyer Persona Institute with hundreds of companies, big, small, all sizes. Can you, do you have any 
like of your favorite success stories about like how they implemented personas and the changes it made that you could share with us? Oh gosh, it's so tough. Which one am I going to talk about? Right? Yes, <laughs> two really, two really like in the last two weeks. One, one a pretty big company, and the other one a really small company. Which one do you want? Oh, that's so hard. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go big. Okay, big. So this is a business application software company, and I'm not going to name names, okay? But we did a study. They, um, they had a product that was targeted to the very, very small market. They call it the Soho market. And then they had another product that was targeted pretty much to everybody up through Fortune 500. And they were sneaking up into the Fortune 500 a little bit. And they wanted to know, you know, who are the buyer personas and how do we reach these people? And really, one of the key things they wanted to know is, are there differences based on industry and where, you know, big, huge, all the way from like literally Soho, one employee, all the way up to, you know, third, tens of thousands of employees, where are the breakpoints in terms of how we need to approach these companies differently? And also they had four different industries. Okay, so this was huge, huge uh, study. And first we went and did interviews and we did them with companies that had between one and 20 employees. And then we did companies with 20 and above. So you can tell like the 20 and above was ridiculous. You know, there was so much, so much breadth like that across that. And we did them across all the industries and we came back and we delivered the findings. And one of the shocking things was that this company was absolutely convinced that manufacturing industry compared to, they did a lot of work with retail and financial and a few other private sector, but manufacturing was totally unique, only cared about this one aspect of their product and none of the others. And so when we came back and presented the findings and we said, no, these guys really think alike. Oh, by the way, Soho, one to 20 employees, totally different persona, but the big guys, they think alike regardless of industry. And so we didn't go through with the workshop because I knew that if we sat down with the team, they weren't going to believe it. So we went and did this huge quant study, 615 people. And you know what? We validated every single finding from those interviews. Wow. We checked every box. And then we sat down and did the messaging. And it's some of the most phenomenal messaging I've ever seen because everybody in the company was 100% confident that we had completely identified their buyers. And in the Soho market, here's the other big win on this one. We literally delivered the results yesterday, so it's very top of mind. Um, the Soho market, their top five messages have nothing to do with what's unique to them. You know, all of, mm. all of, all of the training we have around messaging is focused on our unique USP, right? And in fact, they so nailed that buyer persona, that they realized that the places where they needed to reach out to the heart of the small business owner who was dealing with this problem didn't connect to anything that was unique about them and that what they're going to be able to do to get that buyer to pay attention to them is going to be to go really big time into those those really big drivers for that buyer and concerns and fears, even though they aren't about a unique aspect of their solution and none of their competitors are doing that. So it's not about, oh, that's really interesting, right? It's not about the, my unique feature. It's that I have, I have full understanding of you and your problems. I get you and that's what's going to drive it. 
here, here's the thing we're saying. You need to stop focusing on who your buyer is and start thinking about their buying experience. And what are you going to do? We all talk about exceeding our customers' expectations. What if you could exceed your buyer's expectations? What if your company was different, differentiated based on being the in, easiest and most useful during your buyer's buying experience. I'll tell you what happens because we've interviewed thousands of your buyers and they would buy from you. It's not price. It's not product. I mean, those are table stakes, guys. You've got to have a, right, a good product at the right price. We just assume that you've done that well. Now, how are you going to win their business? Make, make it easy for them to get the answers to the questions that they're asking through their journey and so that they trust you and trust that you're upfront and concise and that you don't just throw a bunch of noise at them. Awesome. All right, Adele, we've just been great. We've talked about lots of different things, but if you were to pick two things that you wanted our listeners to do differently tomorrow based on what you and I talked about today, what would that be? You know, I want to, I want you to go talk to a buyer or listen to a buyer about what really factored into their decision. So, you know, spend 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes on the phone. Um, the, the amount of time you have to invest in doing that is, rel- is really small compared to how much time you spend making stuff up. Um, and then the other thing is I want you to advocate for your buyer's perspective. And, you know, I, uh, we just did a workshop for the Cisco marketers and we basically said, watch for, and, and, oh gosh, this so fits into pragmatics, you know, pragmatics saying, you know, your opinion, although interesting is irrelevant, right? Mm -hmm. Only how many times do you sit in a meeting and start your sentence with, I think, and what the reason we want you to interview your buyers is so that you can replace the beginning of that sentence with. We've been interviewing our buyers and our buyers think. And it, it's just going to fundamentally change everything. And even if you don't know all the answers, asking the question, you know, we have, what, what does the buyer think? When Jeff Bezos founded Amazon, he required that there be an empty chair at every meeting. Go, go Google empty, Bezos empty chair. And that there was an empty chair at every important meeting so that people would remember that the customer needed to be have a seat at that table. Today, that chair is no longer empty. There's a customer experience effort, expert sitting in that chair, and that person, the VPs in the room, listen to that person. Mm. So start with at least the empty chair and say, but what do, what, what do our buyers want? That's, that's the, what I'd like you to do. Oh, I love the idea of just even thinking of myself as a buyer advocate. Next time someone asks me what I do, that's what I'm going to say. Yeah. Awesome. Exactly. Perfect. Adele, this was great. Thank you very, very much for, have, for coming on. Well, I appreciate it. It's my favorite topic. Thank you for having me, Rebecca. Absolutely. And for all of our listeners, if you'd like to learn more about Adele and her company and her services or read her great blog, and I highly recommend it, it's uh, buyerpersona.com. So that does it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. 